Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I'm Andre Hagverdian, joined as always by Paul Garrison. What's going on, Paul? Nothing much, man. How are you? I'm good. It was a pretty boring week. Uh, at San Diego State this week. I mean, what on earth are we going to talk about? I, I just, I don't, <laughs> I can't, uh, I mean, I, I'm hoping that you have some, a list of topics because, I mean, <laughs> I have been racking my brain trying to figure out what on earth could we possibly spend, you know, the next half hour, hour talking about. Well, you know, we can start talking about blowout loss to Utah. There's, there's a lot off the field going on and well, compare it's, Connected to on the field, but we obviously found out this week Will Haskell is entering the transfer portal. There's a lot of discussion on that tied to kind of what happened on Saturday night. Um, There's a lot of discussion about just in general, the coaching performances by, you know, the offensive staff, including Jeff Heklinski. So there's a there's a lot there. And then there's a game on Saturday against Toledo where the Aztecs need a win. You know, they. They need to even up their record at two and two, uh, heading into conference play. So it's a it's a critical game, even though it's not a conference game per se. Uh, I think it's a highly critical game, just for the overall psyche of the team, the fan base. No, I I completely agree, and I think you said it also. I mean, how do, how do you want to attack it? Because I mean, you, you we could do this from a lot of different angles, man. What should we do? Let's start with Utah game. Okay. It's the they were a 21 point underdog going into this game. I would say both of us felt like we expected a loss. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I expected a 35 to 7 loss. I think I thought that they would potentially do a better job defensively and score some more points offensively, where you know it might be a 10 point loss, a 14 point right. loss, things like that. Um the first thought I have, and I was I was in Salt Lake City. It's my first time stepping foot in Utah, the state of Utah, ever. So that <laughs> was kind of cool. Very cool. I was impressed with the defense through four drives. I thought that they did a great job um, harassing Cam Rising, not letting him get out of the pocket. They did a great job stopping the run. Not that Utah really ran or tried to run that much early. They did some great stuff defensively, but the offense was just so poor. Mm-hmm. Penalties, just moving backwards as as much as they did, and then you know the floodgates opened for Utah defense offensively. Five straight touchdowns, you know, through the course of the second and third quarter, and you know the game was pretty much over at that point. I mean, I think you summed it up well. I think the couple of things that you can take out of the game, I think is, is first of all, is what you just said. I mean, that's a really good offense and they, they played well for um, a long time with them. And honestly, if it hadn't been for a penalty that seemed pretty obvious that um, there's just no reason to go and make that hit conceivably go in to halftime, you know, seven, zero, something like that. And, 
And then the pressure kind of turns on to Utah a little bit. I think that it would have kind of made the game a little bit closer. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's an important thing because, you know, if that defensive performance is what they had against Arizona, I think there's a good chance that they could, they could have actually, as bad as they played offensively, actually come out with a win in that game. And it's what they're going to need against Toledo because the offense needs to improve. We're going to talk about this throughout. But to expect their offense to go from, you know, historically bad in the passing game as they're trying to feature the passing game, right? I mean, I think that's one of the interesting parts we should also talk about. To expect that to, like, turn into this juggernaut where the offense is what's carrying the team, um, I think, is a big ask. And and so I, I, I think that the defense is going to need to perform for four quarters like it did maybe not as good but pretty close to as good um that they did at the beginning yeah i think just quickly defensively you know jonah tavai uh, has had a great first three games i think maybe the only you know between jonah tavai and michael shawcroft i think those are the two guys who have been playing the best defensively Kurt fountain has done a lot of nice things uh in limited uh, playing time. I think there's a lot to build on there. Uh, and if the defense isn't on the field for 46 plays in the first half, because the offense is continually going three and out completely, then I think the defense will, would have had a better performance overall. So that's, that's good takeaways that I have defensively mm-hmm. moving forward offensively. I mean, it was a disaster. Between the false start penalty, I mean, the offense had eight penalties in this game. Yeah, it's brutal. Five false starts. I think um, there was a holding penalty uh, by one of the linemen. I think Mark Redman also had a penalty. I don't remember what his yeah. penalty was. Kyle Crum had a penalty. Mm-hmm. Delay um, game. Delay mm-hmm. game. Yeah. So it's just, just I'm, I know you're on the road. You're on a, a crazy, hostile environment. I was there. It was loud. Right. Um, it was the place every seat was it felt like it was taken. Great atmosphere if you're a college football fan, not so much if you're a San Diego State player, uh, in terms of trying to deal with that noise and that environment. You know, there was a there was a lot that went wrong offensively, starting with the the penalties, the offensive line dealing with the noise, and then you know, Braxton Burmeister didn't play well, but he gets poked in the eye. And he's out for the game. And then the quarterback, you know, carousel uh, starts from there, you know, with <laughs> getting, you know, a drive, three plays, and then Kyle Crum coming in. And the game was, the game, it was, it was zero, zero. Not those first two possessions. Not those first two possessions. Right. Will Haskell comes in, it's zero, zero. The game, right. no one has scored. And Kyle Crum comes in, it's only seven, nothing. The game, the game was there. Um, who knows what happens if Braxton Burmeister doesn't get poked in the eye and not come back. Now, he wasn't playing well. The offense wasn't playing well. So it's not like, you know, he would have flipped the switch immediately. But, you know, I think I mean, the- it's still their best hope. Right. Exactly. It, and there's just, I mean, you could also say that Cam Rising and Utah's offense wasn't playing well at that point either. Yeah. Now, of course, Cam Rising and Utah have a history. <laughs> and And so that makes it, you know, that makes that a little bit of a different kind of equation. Like you're eventually expecting cam rising in Utah to be cam rising in Utah. Yeah. I I think offensively, you know, when we talked to Mike Goff after 
um, one of the first practices. And he was talking about, you know, getting 15, 20,000 people at the scrimmage because it, um, none of these kids, these young guys had ever played in any kind of environment where they've played in front of more than 5,000 people, much less, you know, 15. And so honestly, I don't think there was anything surprising about that. Uh, you can't simulate that in practice. You can you can try. You can make it as loud as you can. You can do all those things, but but you just you know you can't go and say okay, well it's now uh, what was it first down and ten from the two. <laughs> like you can't you can't do that. At, like, there's no way to to simulate that. And you just have to live through that and go through it. So I, I mean honestly, the false start parts of it, while obviously it like put the offense in a bad place. I don't think there's anything surprising about that. I mean, I think that that's what, you know, maybe, maybe what three instead of five, you know, it wasn't like it, it, it just what you would expect from players who had never taken snaps where they couldn't hear the count. And so they were a little early on a couple of them didn't get the, you know, the movements, right. So then I guess, let I me, mean, let's, let's, let's talk about the quarterback situation. It's it's really really interesting. I, I you know Will Haskell obviously has has decided to transfer. You know you you knew about that before uh, it became official. Um, very nice restraint, by the way. I was told Monday night that he was gone. Yeah, I, I didn't feel comfortable reporting it because I wanted Will to be the person that made that hundred percent, and that's very respectful. Uh, that's what you should do. That that's kind of how I took it. No, and and that was the right thing. So. It's it's it. I find the topic of Will Haskell incredibly interesting. You know, we obviously are in this weird game where we're judged by how many views of things that we get, right? And it's a conversation that we have, and and we constantly have to like encourage each other. No, do the good work, and like, who cares about the views, right? Um, but we've seen that anything that we can do that has Will Haskell in it is a view bonanza. It's just so strange to me because no one has seen this guy play. I mean, there, there's literally like very few snaps in practice, in scrimmages, in anything, because you remember the first scrimmage that he played in. I think the only, like, I was one of the, I think, two people not connected to the team who was up in Carson watching him play, you know? There's just such limited knowledge, and yet the belief that this kid was is going is going to be like the quarterback that breaks the trend at San Diego State is so firmly entrenched with so many people, and how it got there is just it's 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 interesting. I just I don't understand it. You know, we can we can go back to high school. You know, highlight tapes. Uh, the athleticism that that excites people that excited me, right? Will Haskell was he a, doesn't throw the ball in any of those highlight reels. He does. Like he, like he, he throws deep passes and he runs away from everybody right. else. But but I think my 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 point is that that stuff can be invigorating. It can be exciting. It can be getting people. We haven't had San Diego State hasn't had someone with his athletic ability uh, as, as, as long as I've been watching San Diego State and it hasn't been as long as you have. And I think that's that can excite a fan base. It doesn't necessarily mean that the fan base thinks that he's going to walk in on day one as a true freshman and become a Heisman candidate, right? 
but I think people have this this expectation that he. There are people who think that, right? I, I, there could have been. I don't know. But I, I think <laughs> the anger and the vitriol from the fan base coming from this weekend is rooted in the fact that he got three plays and was taken out of the game after that for a true freshman. And whether whatever you believe in Will Haskell's abilities to become a starting quarterback in Division I college football, it still doesn't take away the fact that I personally think that that was a wrong move by the coaching staff. I think you have to whether he's splitting reps in in practice and he's going to lose his backup job probably by the next week like if you're he's the backup and you're putting him in you have to give him more than three plays regardless of how bad those plays are why why i mean like justify that because we had went to practices and we've went to the spring game and he got double or triple the number of reps. He got as many as, as, as Burmeister in everything that we saw. So why don't those reps count as like part of his evaluation? Because there is zero question that in the coaches' minds, Kyle Crum, and it sounded like Lee Uamavai was very close next, was able to in a fraction of the reps, pass him. Mm-hmm. So why don't those reps count as far as like that fair chance? And and that's what the coaches said. The coaches said like, okay, yes, we could have given him more, but exactly what we had seen in practice is what we saw in those three snaps. But if you've made a decision that he is the backup quarterback for this game still, then I I I believe he he's deserved more than three plays. So is the mistake that they put him in at all? If they felt like he was not the true second best quarterback on the roster, then yes. Even in see, and this is and this is what they said. And again, again, it's I don't I it's not our. It, this is a good way to just just get thoughts out. Right. But um, you know, when we spoke with Jeff Heklinski and asked him this exact same situation, right? And then it's more important, I think, because there aren't a lot of voices that get the opportunity to say, this is what they were thinking, right? And so it's like more important than anything that we think, this is what they said in response to this exact conversation, right? And they said, essentially, that he hadn't quite passed them, but he was right there because they had split the reps and that that environment, they were really worried about putting in a true freshman in that environment. We just talked about the offensive line and those redshirt freshmen and their inability to do whatever it is that they needed to do. And so they said that they were worried about in that atmosphere. And they, I think they hoped that he would rise to the occasion, but then they said exactly what they had seen in practice is what they saw on those three plays. So why would you expect him in the next series to be different when he had been consistent all the way throughout? 
that, that's a fair that's a fair question. I, I I still think that if you've made the decision that he's the backup quarterback, you've brought him in. In that environment, people sometimes people need a few plays to get into the flow. I'm not saying that the, if Will got a second drive that he would immediately lead them to a touchdown, but I, I feel like from a coaching perspective and from a Will from Will Haskell's perspective, three plays is just not enough of an opportunity to show what he can do or what he can't do. Right? He could have come in on that second drive and gone three and out. And I think then there would have been a much fairer coaching decision to say, okay, this isn't working and we're going to Kyle. But I, I don't know. I, I still, I find fault from a person, from my opinion, that three, that, that he deserved an extra drive after that for the sake that it was a crazy environment. You're playing the 14th team in the country. He just came in after an injury, not expecting to come in. And, you know, three plays is three plays. And Kyle Crum struggled for various drives when he came in. Even Coach, um, I think it was Hoke, and even maybe when we talked to Heklinski later in the day, mentioned that he missed some reads on his first couple drives. Same thing that Will did, right? And as time went on, he got better. And who knows, maybe Will would have gone better as drives went on. Okay, so now again, and, and different people approach things differently. My approach to almost anything in life, I, I don't think that there's a big difference between three plays and six plays. Um, if they had given him six plays, would that have been fair? Yes. If they had given him three plays, would that have been fair? Yes. If they had given him no plays, would that have been fair? Yes. If they had decided that they were going to give him the whole game, would that have been fair? Yes. So I I think that there's more than one way to handle the situation. Um, I think the thing that should be very, very clear is that even in the time that we watched him, he was not clearly better than guys who, you know, less than a year ago were playing high school football. That doesn't, necessary the thing i think that that is the to say that is that's not a surprise he's a red shirt freshman it's the hype that everyone put on him where the expectations are believing that he should somehow be better than he is and that it's the coaching staff who with their jobs on the line and throwing for 70 yards a game are intentionally sabotaging and deciding that they're not going to play this guy who is so much better because he was on sports center. I, I don't know where that next evidence is from, but it seems like that's the argument that's being made. And, and then there's, there's another really interesting aspect to this. Why would he leave? I, I mean, if, 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 if it's like, it's, you know, the coaching staff said, at the very beginning. And again, people can say none of this stuff is ever true and whatever, and whatever they can do that. Fine. But they said that there's an open competition and there's competition throughout the roster. I mean, we've seen it, right? So Barfield got replaced by a walk-on because there is competition all the time. Um, their starters, at cornerback have changed. So everywhere you see along the roster, 
players who perform better throughout the season get those opportunities. Believing that that's not true at quarterback, I just think it was. And they said, Will Haskell, you were the guy who was going to complete, compete with Braxton Burmeister. Competition never materialized. Now here he is in a competition with Kyle Crum and Lee Uamavai, and he leaves. Is that, I mean, don't you want, don't, this doesn't, isn't the DNA at San Diego State, like, let's have competition, and that's going to make everybody better. And he ran from the competition. He left. And, and to argue that, like, you know, he would have stayed or things would have been better if he had gotten six plays instead of three, or if he had gotten zero and didn't, you know, face, I guess, the embarrassment of having to show the world that he wasn't ready. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't see that argument. Well, in my, such a competitive game. I'll, I'll, I'll have two points on this. First, my argument that three plays was not, was unfair to take him out after three plays isn't rooted in my opinion that Will Haskell is going to be, is this great quarterback because I'll admit I'll agree with you that what we've seen from practice and from scrimmages doesn't tell me that he's ready or that he will ever be ready. Um, But it goes back to the fact if Kyle Crum was the backup quarterback and he was brought in and had three really bad plays and got benched, I would feel the same way. It's not necessarily about Will Haskell or Kyle Crum. It's about the, the situation that if you're the backup and you come in and you only get three plays, regardless of how bad those three plays are, to me, that's indefensible from a coaching perspective. That player deserves more than Good. just. And I, 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 tell me about that, though, because it seems like from from what I'm hearing, you're saying is just like it's he got three plays. It's indefensible. But you don't. But why? Why, why? And then why do those three plays get to be taken out of the context of everything that's happened since January? Like, why is it indefensible? I think it's very defensible. He's been consistently not up to where they need him to be. That's the defense. Personally, I think practice reps are no way comparable to game reps. And he hasn't gotten real game reps other than garbage time. He got he came in for one play against Arizona at the goal line. He threw an incomplete pass. Right? No, no. Burmeister got hurt and didn't finish the game. He was in there for a long, a good while. Which and and they ran the ball. The I, I, yeah, I'm saying that. But the game was close at that point when he when he ended up coming in. I think it was like a twenty point twenty one point game at that point, right? So those reps don't count either. I mean, when you're down twenty one, they they count. I'm just saying because and then and then, but that's the begs the same question. If Kyle Crum has been better in practice, why doesn't he deserve those reps? So he should have been the second. He should have been the backup then. He should have come in first. So it's either, and this, to me, that's the weird part. It's like, so it's either zero or he should have had six. And why? What's the difference between three, zero? Why why like zero is okay. And that's fair and good. And that's a, that's a defensible position. Six or more is defensible. But this one way of doing it is the out, is the one thing that makes it like something bad. It's three plays. We're talking about three plays and it changes everything and it changes everything on three plays. 
these three plays are actually pretty small compared to the grand scheme of things. Since Saturday night, I've probably heard from more people uh, about the Will Haskell situation than I have in the last 15 months, right? <laughs> yeah. There is, from what I've been told, that this was headed towards the relationship between Will and the coaching staff was fractured, and this was headed towards a transfer at the end of the season. That's what I've been told. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But I think these three plays is kind of the culmination of of that, and that's from both ends, right? I think. From- I mean, tell me about that. So you're telling me that I mean, because you have to be really careful what you just said, in my opinion, because I mean, they didn't try to embarrass Will Haskell. They weren't saying like, "Oh, you have this contentious relationship with us, so what we're going to do is we're going to play you only for three plays, so that way." you look horrible to your next school and you can't go anywhere. I didn't say that. No, I know. So that's what I mean. So what is, I mean, it still doesn't explain the three plays. Like what, what is the, I know you didn't. And unfortunately there are fans who would hear that there. So what, what is that? I mean, what, so yes, the relay, they, they clearly wanted him to be better than he was. I yeah. don't think there's any question about that. You know, you, Anyway, sorry, I, I interrupted. So, but I just don't, I don't get how, again, zero is good, six is good, but three is bad. It just seems to be so arbitrary and just weird and disconnected from like, it's three plays only we're talking about. I've heard it from both sides. There's, there's one side that, that told me that from the coaching perspective, they did not believe Will was putting in enough work. In practice, learning the offense, learning the what the coaches are teaching him, he, he was disconnected. And that parlayed into his practice reps and whatever game reps he got. So the coaches felt like Kyle Crum and Leo Amavai were doing what they needed to do in practice. We're putting in the work. We were learning and understanding the playbook, and they were making strides. I've also heard the other perspective that that there that since the spring will was not it was clear to him that he you know he was that Braxton Burmeister came in was given the starting position this is this is what i've heard not saying it's true coach hoke has refuted this that will was basically cut out um since the spring of it was evident to him that he was not had no future at San Diego State and so factoring all that in and he gets three snaps and gets taken out of the game. I think uh, there's a lot of questions. I a lot of this what I've heard is not. I, I'm not there, so it's hard to say. You know, always what's always the case is that the truth is in the middle. It's, you know, both sides are gonna are gonna say something, and I think it all goes back to the point that I don't necessarily think these three plays are are the are the reason why a transfer was done but personally it, whether it was will whether it was Kyle Crum or whoever the backup was i feel like three plays and taking them out is is not the right move from the coaching perspective i think a second drive is warranted and and whether the second drive would have done anything differently i don't know nobody really knows it's 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 a it's a it's a difficult situation all around because it's tough to really know what's going on without actually being in the picture. And at the end of the day, Will decided to transfer and he's no longer part of the team. 
And I think the team has to move on without him. And they will. But it's still, there's a lot of questions to be answered that may never get answered. Yeah, I, I, I said it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't, I don't get how, how he could have, you know, double and triple the opportunities of the guys below him in practice, and that can be in any way construed as he wasn't given the opportunity. And it goes back to practice reps aren't game reps. But he also, and yeah, I guess. But again, people, and again, people, that, and it's the same thing of like so. It, it, so, but it, like I said, it's it's the weird part about like if they hadn't put him in at all. I mean, maybe they put him in at all because they understood that he was. I, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do any conjecture. That's just not what I like to do. It just. It's. It's weird for me to ever take anything outside of context. And fine, game reps are different than practice reps. Fair enough. You have to earn those extra reps, and he didn't earn them. But if, he still, why do you say he didn't earn them? He was still the backup. He came in first. Because, because Kyle Crum, they believed, was the better quarterback. And the only reason that they didn't full-on name him the starter is because he was a true freshman. It was a zero zero game, and they thought that that atmosphere they they wanted to see if somebody older would have provided some sort of semblance of structure or whatever, and that's what they said, and that makes sense to me. It makes sense that if like if you could go and you have this quarterback who you think is has shown to be better than, you know, a guy who's been in the program now for, you know, only 15 months or whatever it's been. It's not very long. You still do not want a quarterback's first opportunity to be at one of the best teams in the country on the road. Like you just, you just would like another way to get a few more reps underneath his belt. And they said that they felt like they needed a spark at that point. And so they, they made that decision. And again, I'm not ne- even necessarily saying like that it was the right decision. I just think it's one of the right decisions. And y- taking him out after three plays was right. Taking him after six plays would have been right. Letting him play the whole game would have been right. I personally, personally, would fall more on the side of like, if they had said, okay, you've been our backup, you've been our backup, you've been our backup, you've been our backup. Okay, now Kyle comes our backup. Especially knowing how much Burmeister has been hurt, I would lean that that would be more unfair to all the all the reps and all the work that that he had done. Like if they had given him zero snaps, I would have said like without making like a full announcement saying, "Hey, this guy's are going to be our backup." I I would lean more that that's where the unfair mark is. But once you allow him to get into the game, and you're trying to win. And then I think, you know, it snowballed because after after those two possessions, the next possession, they were down 21 to zero. You know, I, I, I just don't I just don't feel like it's I think it's a very, very um, loose line to to make that the demarcation line between like unfair, bad decision and good decision over here. I think it's a it's a it's not a 
it, it just to me it seems like a weak place to put it when there's a lot of other places that you could put it you know i just i don't know i i i didn't think that anything that i had seen there was any reason to give will haskell any more time than they gave him but like i said if they had decided to give him more that would have been fine too like that's it's just there's a lot of different ways that you can handle it um and from what i saw throughout spring in the fall camp he easily got more reps and and if the coaching staff can't base their evaluation off of a player from what they do in practice they have no way to be able to evaluate players. If the only way that you can evaluate a player is to give them live game action, and that's it, there's no other way, they're kind of screwed because you can't give players who aren't ready. I, I thought that Will Haskell's three plays were like nothing that I had ever seen him play in his three in the, in the time that he had been at San Diego State. Um, he didn't look confident. He didn't look like he was in the game. Um, and you know, it seemed pretty clear to me that, that he, he made some pretty big misses and obvious misses things that like, he's got to be able to do and he's done, you know, they did say that that was, that was ultimately it was those things. And, you know, the very first play that crumb goes in there, he rushes for eight yards or nine yards because he makes the read that seemingly, you know, Haskell missed, but why don't we. Since but right, he, he did also screw up the third and one completely. Play. He completely screwed it up. Hundred so percent. Should 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 they have gone to the next quarterback after that? After that, that and I'm I'm not. That's a ridiculous question. But like, think if, about if they, if, if, about if, if, they did, if they took him out after that drive because he missed the third and one read. What if they? What if they? What well, again? Because you're 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 trying to isolate those three plays and take them out of the context of everything that's happened before. Right. If if and I don't think that that's fair to do. Um, if and this is in all sincerity, if they had decided that they were going to alternate them series, and so the next series that that came out, they would have brought Will Haskell back in. I wouldn't. I would have said, "Yeah, let's see which one of these is better." That there are many ways to handle something that's okay, and I think that they picked one that was okay. Um, it, it could there have been a different one that was also okay. Absolutely. There could have been a different one. I mean, I've been on record saying that it's kind of silly that they have to play a freshman at all, that they didn't go into the transfer market and bring some guy who's just older, <laughs> you know what I mean? Who could, who would be that person to, to go in in case of an emergency, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like, that's the only way that has, that everything has to go about it. But tell me about this. I think we can agree that we wish will haskell the best right i mean you do cover somebody you do pay attention to them you do get to be around them from my perspective from my perspective i think will haskell is really good for a redshirt freshman and as an upperclassman um he has the opportunity to be very very good um, I don't, I, 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 I think the hype it didn't help him and everyone's expectations that he should be, you know, the guy that they saw in sports center. I don't think those things helped him. And I think that if in any other situation without having the, the social media hype that that guy had gotten, I think that 
no one would be batting an eye right now about what's happening. So I, I actually don't think he was, I don't think I, and, and I, I, I don't think that he regressed. I don't think that he, I think the story is Kyle Crum and the fact that Kyle Crum could catch up to Will Haskell, who seemed like he was pretty close to, and definitely on the depth chart, passing the quarterback who came and, you know, saved them against Boise State, right? What would you say about, I think the description of Kyle Crum in the fourth quarter by um, Jeff Eklinski was excellent. That's how he described him in the fourth quarter. What would you say about his progression and how he handled that environment in his first significant action? I mean, I think things slow down for him as they do for most people. Once they get a couple drives in, a couple games in, you know, he played against backups as the game went on. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, yeah, he, he took, you know, he picked it up, but he was obviously, obviously not playing against the starters anymore, but he, he, he was cool, calm and collected as, as we, as the Kyle Crum that we know based on watching his high school tape, seeing him in practice. I'm excited for him for the future. I don't think he's quite ready to, you know, start the next nine games and win, you know, a Mountain West championship. I, I, I don't know if <laughs> we've seen enough of Braxton Burmeister staying on the field to say that Kyle isn't going to be out there uh, a lot for the rest of the season. And I think that's, it's concerning, but it's also kind of exciting to see whether Kyle's going to have that opportunity as a true freshman to actually play and start games and see where he goes because I, there's there's nothing that's shown us, and this is going back to Virginia Tech and Oregon, that Braxton Burmeister is going to stay healthy. And when he is healthy, that he's going to perform well because he, you know, at least for uh, three games, he hasn't. I, I think that is spot on. Um, and I know I said I was going to turn from Will Haskell, but to me, what you just described is also a weird part of this the competition for whoever is the backup is like, unlike most schools in the United States is a competition for real playing time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like the, the guys who are competing to, to, to get that backup role and, and, you know, Jeff Eklinski was talking about protecting Burmeister is what they were working on, you know, after they just come off of the practice field. Um, but that to me is another interesting part of this. He, he can't transfer yet, you know, and and he's still at school and he's just not with the team. Um, and it's like, well, if you're not able to transfer, you're gonna stay in school. Like keep playing quarterback and 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 go and beat Kyle Crum and just go be better than him and do what you've done your whole life, which is be the best player on the field, you know. But I I I like your assessment of of Kyle Crum. I I I will say, um, and I I've told you this, um. I don't know how to assess and evaluate what players do in garbage time, you know? Um, but looking back on that last drive, Utah wanted, they wanted to, they wanted to shut San Diego state out and they definitely had, they definitely had their backups. But again, we're talking about one of the best power five schools in the country. So their backups, as far as recruiting resumes are better than anyone on San Diego state. Right. I mean, that's just how that works. Um, or they're on par with what San Diego State has, and you know the his ability. That there was a couple of throws that I, that I that just were very good, um, and they were very late. But 
the fourth down to Breon Penny. Utah rushes seven, and the free blitzer is 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 right in Crum's face, and he delivers a strike on time, converts for the first down, and maybe it was a little generous of of a, of a spot by the refs. You know, it was real close, or whatever. Um, but they got it, and then you know he did the same kind of thing on fourth down again, and they got the pass interference, and then the and then they score a touchdown, and the touchdown gets taken away because of a penalty, and um, you're just thinking like, gosh, like man, like if you want to build momentum, like that's a real you know punch in the gut, and the very next play, he and, and we were we were joking about you know if there's one way to like show how bad SGSU's passing offense have been, he threw the best ball of the season, right? I think in, in, in your preview, I think you said that it was the longest reception of the year. 18, 18 yards. yards. <laughs> yeah, but it was good. Um, I mean, they, they got pressure from the end. He stepped up into the pocket. They they were swiping at the ball, and he kind of moved the ball and kept it secure, stepped up in the pocket, and delivered a ball in between two guys to an open receiver. And it was it was a play that you've seen every other college football team seemingly in America, including um, option teams like Air Force, be able to do, but you just haven't seen it very much for San Diego State. And And, and so I thought just for him to go into that environment when they were still trying to be competitive, you know, it wasn't, they, he wasn't playing Tosin at the end of that game where they were just trying to get off the field and let's go home. Um, I thought that was really good for just, just his confidence level. And, and, you know, I, I, I maybe I should write something next week, but what a story Kyle Crum is. I mean, when I first contacted him, it was uh, first got in contact with him was when he was still in high school. He, 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 you know, he had just gotten his first offer. And, and I go and I turn on the, on his, his huddle thing. And I'm like, I know that I'm not a coach. I get that. I don't have the ability to like fully understand like what's going on with things and, you know, all of that, but it just made no sense to me because he was going nuts. And then I was like, okay, well, that's probably because he plays, you know, division five and he's playing nobodies. And then I, it turns out the game I was watching, he's playing Centennial who everyone knows is like one of the best high school programs in America and let them to their first Butler. Eric Butler. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just like, I couldn't believe it. And then he, he did it again the next year when Centennial was and they, they beat him. Centennial won and was able to kind of establish their dominance in, inside of their um, league. But he, he still threw for 300 yards, still did all this stuff. And I'm like, how did this kid not have all kinds of offers? And, and, you know, then I figured out why, and, and it made sense. And, and, um, and so for the people, you know, who, who think that Jeff Eklincy can't do anything right, you're going to like the article on uh, Kyle Crum if it gets written, because it was pure luck that he fell into San Diego State's lap, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't skill. And it was, it was COVID that did it. And, and he came to San Diego, he was the very first person that we interviewed on the podcast. Right. Um, and first episode one, episode one was Leo first. I don't remember who we actually talked to, but they were both on. It was the same episode. The same episode. Yeah. 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 Along with uh, Logan Tanner. I don't know um, who was 
what which day who's came first, but they're on the same episode. They're on the same episode. Yeah. And and you know, it really cool kid. And um and to go from that to like, oh my God, they're putting in Kyle Crum. It's 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 pretty significant. And I think that uh, you know, that was something that Heklinski wanted to talk about often is that like, look, like the reason that this is happening, the reason that this was if, if it was gonna happen, we don't know. You have to talk to to Will Haskell, but but the reason that this got pushed to right now is because Kyle Crum has made huge leaps in the program. Um, so I, I think that the best case scenario for San Diego State is that Will Haskell was everything he was made out to be, and Kyle Crum is better. I, I don't disagree with that. Kyle Crum's touchdown to Josh Nicholson at the end of that Utah game for 18 yards is the longest pass completion for San Diego State. In three talk, about beating, talk about beating a dead horse. I'm just kidding. <laughs> put that into context. I can't. I don't understand it. Toledo, it makes no sense to me. Okay. Toledo. Okay. The next opponent right. has four touchdown passes of at least 40 yards this season. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, just at touchdowns. They've had other passes longer than, you know, 18 yards that have been not touchdowns, but they've four of them have at least 40 or longer for touchdowns. How that's, many of those came against Ohio State? Just one. Yeah, just one. No, I know. I wanted to point that out because I think they played Norco High School their first game. Kyle Crumbs, <laughs> former high school. Um, they're they're no, yeah. it was Long Long Island University. Oh, I beg your pardon. My <laughs> Norco Long Island the dominant Long Island. I don't even know what their <laughs> mascot is, but if you look at Toledo, it's it's kind of crazy because um, Long San Island, play, San Diego State played Idaho State. They, right, they, right. they didn't have any of those plays. It's, yeah. it's inexcusable that you have an 18 yard play yeah. as, as, as your best play. It It's just, yeah. it just is. And, and, you know, I made the argument when I said about fixing the, the offense, um, I, I was hoping that by just saying like, this is historically bad. Like, yeah. you know, the, their the go Aztec site is really good about having, all of their past schedules from 2013 and on. And so that's kind of where I'm able to, to really go into the stats and, and, you know, assuming those are all correct and everything like that, they've only three times in a three game span have averaged less than 19, I'm sorry, less than 90 yards. This one, they have a few more receptions, right? Cause they're and but they were five and one in those other games, one game in there where they had 14 yards passing, but they had 400 yards rushing. And even the 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 fourteen yard passing game, like three of those games got it below ninety. But then if you took the like the first in the first game, the other games that sandwiched it, you know, if you went the other direction and doing the average, it got to like ninety two. Like it just, I mean, yeah. they've never thrown the ball this bad, and it it is historically bad. I mean, and and the fact that they've come out trying to pass the ball, Hecklinski said that when Burmeister has been in. They've been balanced in in the calls and then those kind of things. And then Will, when Will Haskell and and Kyle Crum have been in, they changed the offense, they said. So the fact that unlike those past years, they have been trying to be balanced, are this poor at it, it it's 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 huge. I mean, it's 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 it cannot be understated that 
18 yards is their best passing play. It, it, it can be. It's, it's, it's terrible. That said, go ahead and get on the record. There are people saying that the offense coordinator should be fired. We asked him as a press or, you know, do you hear that? He said, yep, I hear that. I'm here as long as Coach Hoke. I don't feel any pressure, he said. He said, I'm, I'm work, I, my work ethic and who I am does not change based off of any of the outside noise. What, do you, what, what, what would you say or do you want me to go first? Well, before we actually get into football, I'd like to get something off my chest. Uh-oh. I, I, I'm a fan myself. You know, I've, I've been a fan of San Diego State. I'm, I'm, I've been a fan of sports teams for, you know, my whole life, right? There have been coaches and players that I've not liked on my favorite sports teams. At times, coaches that I wanted to fire, players I wanted to cut. That's a part of being a fan. I, I get that. It's fair to criticize coaches or players for not performing and not doing their job. I get that. It's fair to critique them, even on social media, to say this person is not doing well or this person should be doing better, things like that. I find it disturbing when I see fan bases call out people to lose their jobs and be disrespectful to themselves or their families or their names, things like that. This is probably the first time I've seen that with San Diego State. Maybe I haven't been a fan. I haven't been in San Diego or been a fan that long, but I've seen it in other teams in in that way and that that's that's what kind of dis- that bothers me is that mm-hmm. it's it's fair to say that this that Jeff Hecklinski has not a, has not done a good job as the offensive coordinator and that potentially maybe he should not be the offensive coordinator but some of the disrespectful comments I've seen just across social media over the last week but over really over the last couple of years I, it bothers right. me and I think the fan base is better than that now, full disclosure, you know, I, I like Coach Heklinski. Uh, We've had a chance to have him on our podcast a couple times. We've had a chance to talk to him in person at practices. Um, but even if I didn't like him or even if he hadn't talked to us, I'd feel the same way, regardless of who the person is, that I think people need to kind of calm down a little bit and, and stick to football and not get personal and not get um, – disrespectful because with the comments because as as we talked to coach heck yesterday like his kids are on social media they see all this stuff that people are spewing hate towards their father i get it people are passionate i'm passionate too trust me there are coaches on my favorite professional sports teams that i've wanted fired but i have not gone on social media and you know, said a lot of the disrespectful things that I've seen a lot of other people write on, so especially over the last week, and that bothers me. And I and I think San Diego State fan base is better than that. I I I uh, well well said, well said, and and let's just move on. Like I don't think anything else needs to be said. I think that is perfect. I couldn't agree with you more. Well said. Yeah, I agree. I think San Diego State fans can be better and keep it to football and you know, try to find a balance between. Yeah. What you said, just, just listen to what I understand. I think it's perfect. So how you wrote an article about how the offense can improve. They're going to have to against Toledo because Toledo, 
they've got they've got a as we talked about they've got an explosive offense they've got a quarterback that can is probably the fastest and most explosive quarterback they're going to play this year uh when you're talking about the dual threat the passing yeah. and running yeah 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 like the offense is going to this isn't going to be a game where the defense is going to shut down Toledo and the offense is going to win by scoring you know 13 points they're going to have to score so how how are they going to do that considering just everything that's happened so far I appreciate that. And I think that with Toledo before the season, right. I I was letting people know this is a good football team. Um, they, they were, they were picked to finish high in their conference that, that, you know, they, they found some rhythm at the end of last year. And I, I was telling people like San Diego state could conceivably in their non-conference season, go one and three. And then I actually I said one and four because Boise's next. Right. And and so they need their offensive line to 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 really get going. So I I how do they get their offense going better? I, I meant what I said in, in the article. I think that there is a chance that you go into to Utah confident that you've beaten this team. You go in there. I mean, that defense played like like they were San Diego State football players. And then the wheels and then the wheels came off. And I would suggest to you that that could be a sign that confidence isn't great. And, and you know, we asked Coach Eklinski, we said, what, what, where's the confidence of your team? How would you assess the confidence of your team? And, and, and his, his reply wasn't the coach speak of like, oh, yeah, we're a super confident group. His, his reply was, hey, they read everything, too. They're reading what everyone's saying about them. He says, but, but we've been through so much. We're a really resilient group. Well, you don't have to be resilient. <laughs> <laughs> if your confidence is fine, right? I mean, that's that's just it. That's that you don't have to step up and be resilient if there's nothing to be resilient against. And so I think that I had a little league coach. I had a little league coach. This has always stuck with me. And it was so funny the way this happened. So I, I was like, I think I was in minors. He was my minor league coach, right? Occasionally he would I'd go into batting practice and I would just just piss on the ball. And I was just, I mean, spraying the ball everywhere. And, you know, I was the kid who was really fast and could like nub the ball into the ground and run to first and still get, cause they couldn't throw me out. But that, that was me. But occasionally during batting practice, when, when, uh, you know, shout out Bill Allen, wonderful human being, wonderful man would pitch to me. I would just, I, oh man. And I would be walking into the game, like just on cloud nine thinking like, I'm really good. I'm going to be doing so well. And then I was standing to the side. And he's talking to some other coach and he goes, you know, when I see these kids and I see their confidence down, I just throw really easy BP to them and I let them hit the ball really, really good. And they just gain confidence and I give them those easy wins and their confidence soars. And, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I, you know, it was like the curtain was pulled back, you know, and I realized that it was a technique and I was like, oh man, and it worked. Right. But ever since then, I, I, I think I've seen that, you know, in education, I've seen that everywhere. Like when, when, People are not feeling good about what they're doing. Finding ways to get them to be successful is huge. So I think this first quarter is gigantic. I think that, you know, being able to win field position, the fact that they had to get pinned against Utah, I think was a big deal. If, they, if that had been switched, right? And I don't mean that they should take the ball first to start the game. But I mean, if the defense had held them to a three and out instead of, you know, holding them and they lay and San Diego state could have won the battle of field position. You're, you're, you're feeling like, Hey, we're playing the kind of game we want to play. Just finding ways early to be successful, I think is important. 
Um, the other thing I think that's important is finding ways to just get something simple. What it, whatever that simple is, whether it's, you know, a short route, whether it's a slant, whether it's the fade that it seems like, you know, they've had success throughout um, spring and fall camp doing where you just get somebody one-on-one and you let them go up and make a play and, and the crowd erupts and everyone gets to, you know, just feel good about the passing game. Um, I, I, so I, I think that that is very, very important to getting it is just starting off right and trying to get some sort of momentum. Um, and then the defense can come in and they can be the ones to create momentum because they could give them a short field, cause a turnover, get them feeling like good things are happening for SDSU. Um, and, and finding that momentum, um, I, I think is, is, is key and, I agree with the idea that, you know, if Braxton Burmeister had been a little bit more precise with some of the passes against Idaho State, that the the feeling of where the passing game is would feel different because there would be a 200 yard gain game on the on the resume. You know what I mean? So I, I, I buy that. I think that there was about five or six passes that he absolutely missed and should have hit. And, and you just feel like, okay, like, wow, like this is what the offense can be. And you point out of state, you say they're playing out of state, but look how balanced they were. And, you know, you'd have all of that conversation versus what it is now, which is just, they don't have anything. So finding that small success, I think is in, in short is, is what I'm looking for on Saturday. Well, you, it's funny. We talked about this last week in the Utah preview, like they weren't just going to marvelously become a great passing team against Utah secondary. Right. I mean, there, that was just not going to happen. You know, unless they got some fluke big plays in the passing game, they were not going to have a good passing game. But I think a lot of that, a lot of the, the doubt comes in from that Idaho state game because Idaho state was an FCS team and the pass, I think they still had like what 103 yards passing or something that game. Right, and it took it took like a, a late drive to like even get yeah. that. right. And they're coming off a so, week where they gave up 400 to UNLV. But then I think Toledo is going to be that next you know litmus test because mm-hmm. even though Toledo mm-hmm. only gave up 58 yards passing a game to LIU and UMass, they gave up you know 483 to Ohio State and Ohio State is the third best team in the country, maybe the best team in the country. Right. And San Diego State is not that. So are they somewhere in the middle between 483 and 58? Well, you hope so, because that's you're in the 200s at that point, right? Yep. But we'll, we'll see on Saturday because they're going to want to establish the running game. And I think we've seen time and time again for years, San Diego State coming out, establishing the running game, scoring off the running game. Their defense holds tight. And then they got some openings in the past game and they win, you know, a 23 to six game or something like that. Right. They haven't had that because the running game hasn't come out and established itself. The defense has given up big plays early in games or at least in the first half. And when you're behind, the passing game is just not good enough to get you uh, back in the game. So coming out, establishing the run, scoring some points on at least your first two drives you know they haven't scored i don't think they've scored on idaho state they might have scored a field goal on the second drive maybe i can't did they get a touchdown no they they ran a kickback and then right so they they have not scored on their first two drives 
of right. any of the right. three games. And then that's got to change. Yeah, I agree. And um, I will say one thing I found really interesting. You know, we're having this conversation with Heklinski and, and we're saying like, Will Haskell as the backup was a question mark, but because of the hype surrounding it, it made it feel like maybe it wasn't as, as, as big of a need. Right. But now you, I mean, you're, you're sitting there with a true freshman as your second and your third guy. Right. And so we were asking him like, doesn't it make it like doubly important? And and how do you get him to stop taking hits and stuff? And, and you know, what he said, he said, the worst thing that you could ever do is try to change a person to be different than they are. And he said that when Braxton Burmeister was out at practice on, on Tuesday, that he had written on his hand, be me, right? Wasn't, wasn't that the yeah. phrase? Yeah. And he says, he says, I loved it. I love that. That's exactly what we need him to be. I, I just find that very interesting that, you know, they need Braxton Burmeister to be that competitive, fiery guy and just, just be him. Being Braxton Burmeister means that you've thrown for 2,500 yards and been the starter at an ACC school and was expected to be the starter there this year as well. Um, so that he does need to just be him. I mean, I mean, I think that's been a huge surprise is, is that he hasn't had that he's looked as confused and as lost, you know, through, through these first three games. I think that the offense is going to go one of two ways. I think the offense is either going to, they're going to come together and they're going to have some semblance of success or it, it's, it could snowball. And I, I think that, that there is a danger if they're sitting here at one and four and they're still averaging 75 yards passing and you're still saying like, man, what's going on? And they're and they're and they're one and four and those kinds of things. And as people that cover the team, we can kind of look ahead a little bit. And obviously, they need to be focused, as Katie McDonald said, on Toledo and nothing else. Um, but but I I I I do think that that there is a little bit for this team. There is a little bit of of a crossroads the this these next couple of games because you know if if they have good they're playing good teams. Toledo's really good. Boise State's really good. And yes, they they get into some of the softer parts of their schedule, um, you know, with UNLV, with Hawaii, with New Mexico. Um, San Jose State played Auburn really tough um, at Auburn. I mean, you know, they, they, they get into some of these other games. And, and if they can't win on Saturday, the road to bowl eligibility it becomes really murky because you would have to, you would have to win, you know, five of your eight conference games in or in order to get to six. And um, that means no slip ups. That means an upset, you know, or whatever. So it's, 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 it's kind of, it, it's, it's time. It's time for Braxton Burmeister and that offense to, to, to be better for sure. I mean, there's Toledo's a three point favorite as of, the time we're recording this, Boise is going to be favored next week. There's a scary but very viable possibility that San Diego State's going to be one and four in two weeks, and that's obviously nothing what anybody expected. But that that would mean they're zero and one in conference, 
And, you know, it's an uphill battle from there, obviously, not just to get to uh, not just to win the conference, but to get to a bowl game. Um, I can only imagine the 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 screams for, you know, changes from the fan base to be even louder this time, two weeks from now when they're one and four. So I'm not saying they will be one and four. I, I do think that they have I do think they'll beat Toledo. Um, I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be a good game, but they're going to have to play great. This isn't one of those matchups where they can get by with just, you know, rushing for some yards and, and, you know, getting some, you know, having the defense play well, they're going to have to play really well. This is a game they're going to have to play close to their best to win or else Toledo's going to beat them. The Toledo's a good team. I mean, you look at them, as I said, they played Ohio state, obviously they lost by 56, uh, and they played LIU and UMass, who are probably going to win a combined, you know, two games maybe this year. Um, but Toledo has the talent, offensively and defensively, to to beat and embar- potentially embarrass San Diego State on their home field if San Diego State does not show up and play well. I I, I think that's incredibly true and well said. And you know, you you we said it like at the very beginning of the season. I wasn't sure who was better, Arizona or Toledo, coming into yeah. the year. I, I didn't. I didn't know who was better. I. I think given some of the performances that Arizona has had, maybe they're a little bit better than you know. I was thinking, but but I don't think that it would be a cakewalk for Arizona if they were playing Toledo. I think that San Diego State, the the fact that a team can from from another power, um, another group of five conference can travel most of the wave of the country and can be a favorite at home is a, is a clear sign of what, you know, the country and the people at large think about San Diego state. And I think that, that, you know, they, they really need to hunker down and it, it, it really, there, there's not a lot of belief about this team um, from outside places. Be a proud underdog. Go show the 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 country that 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 they're crazy, that they're crazy and they're they're wrong. Um, but it should be a crazy 12-30 game. Um, and uh it's just ironic that you're gonna go with another small little heat wave. Looks like not the same hundred degrees, but um not under 80 either like like it was this week but um you know i still i still expect there to be a a nice crowd and it it should be a it should be a really really fun day you'll be missed let me give you my three keys to victory before we uh hop off here so this is something i i I was one of my three keys last week and and it has to be again improve third down conversions on offense aztecs are only 10 of 40 Converting third downs, 25%. That's just, that's pitiful. You got to be at least at 40% or not higher. What, what, um, is a, what is a worse stat that 18 yards is their longest passing play of the year or that they are 10 of 40 on third downs? The 18 yards. <laughs> 10 of 40 is not good, but that's <laughs> as horrendous as yeah. your largest completion being 18 yards. So that's got to improve. Red zone efficiency, touchdowns, they're only in three games. The Aztecs have only had nine red zone opportunities, which is low, crazy low already. But then when you factor in, they've only scored four touchdowns out of those nine. 
44%. That's got to improve. Have to score more than touchdowns on close to 60% of your red zone, red zone opportunities. If you want to win games, especially against a team that's favored against you. And then third is really re- related to Daquan Finn, the quarterback for Toledo. He does, he's the leading rusher for Toledo and obviously the leading passer because he's a quarterback. But you got to keep him in the pocket. You got to contain, make him make plays out of the pocket because when he gets out of the pocket, not only can he run and, you know, break plays and get 40, 50 yard runs, but he can throw downfield and get 40 yard touchdown passes. Uh, once he breaks contain and the defense breaks down and his receivers get open. So it's going to be crucial to keep him in the pocket uh, the, the edge guys are going to have to keep their gap, you know, control and contain the edges, make him make plays from the pocket, because if he gets out of there, he's going to be even more dangerous than he is. I, I well said. I think I think I think those are all great. Um, do you think they're going to do, do, do you think that they're going to do more um, Jalen Maiden spy then? Do you think that's going to ha- happen more? Or is that still just once in a while? It's been very effective. Right. <laughs> it's a good question. I was thinking that myself when I was writing the preview. I think they're going to use it more often, yeah. but more often could be three times, right? 100%. 100%. Once each game. Right. So I don't know. Like, And, and then I was trying, like, last year they used Saguna Luby as a spy in their base defense. Yep. They don't have Saguna Luby anymore. And none of the linebackers are fast enough to be spies now. Would so, you would you would you trust New Zealand Williams? I don't think so. Okay, I was say because he he would be the guy that would he, be that would Maddox, profile. Yeah. yeah, Maddox told us about how he could be that guy, but he hasn't gone on the field yet. Uh, he got yeah. He I mean, when they had their backups, he, he was there this last week. Right, yeah. but I mean, right, 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 right. In, in real reps, hundred percent. Don't think they just. They thrust because I mean, as you know, Shawcroft and Caden McDonald and Cooper McDonald have been playing well. It's probably the only out of the three. Well, Jonah Tavai has been really well too, but like it's hard for them to take one of those three guys off and put New Zealand Williams in. I agree you know, consistently. So I agree. I I I, I, I do see Jalen Maiden being out there more than one play a game. Uh, as on, in a in a competitive portion of the game, but I I don't think he's going to be there more than you know three four plays. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of defense they do have to make sure he doesn't get out. And if he does get out, you've got a guy kind of. I I wonder. I wonder if Patrick Morris. I don't know if he's going to play spy, but I wonder if he'll have more responsibility in the mm-hmm. short mill. To right. kind of be that guy that like if he does break contain, uh, he's gonna be the guy that's gonna be responsible for you know tracking him down. We'll we'll see. Uh, right, because 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 you know the the only real knock on Finn's game is I believe he's sub sixty percent in completion percentage. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not expecting him to be able to sit back in the pocket, step up into the field, you know, and, and that's just not, and be able to be precise in a window to, to, to do things. And so that'll, I think, I think that, that, that's an interesting part of that chess match, but uh, I don't know. I was, I was curious and I, I really have thought it super interesting. Um, and I thought your one breakdown that you did on YouTube was, was really good showing, you know, what, how much confusion having so many people standing up can cause that said 
you 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 gotta expect that Toledo's practicing for that, right? Because it's now yeah. now. I tweeted about this when it happened in Utah. The Garrett Fountain sack uh when he bulldozed the running back was a very right. was a very similar play. They had a fifth guy on the line, Caden McDonald, who ended up dropping back into coverage. Jalen Maiden spied. So not only did they have two linemen that did not block anybody, but they had a double team on Tavai uh, on the bottom of the screen, which is why Garrett Fountain, who is only the third rusher, had to be blocked by a running back who he bulldozed. Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. Yeah. Speaking of Garrett Fountain, speaking of Garrett Fountain, because I'm going to forget, do you have – Anybody who or go on to YouTube and find it with the Go Aztec site, but uh Caden McDonald, he gave I asked Caden about okay. Garrett Fountain at the at the press conference and he gave such an amazing answer. But if it anyway, just it's it it should be highlighted about about you know just just Garrett Fountain in a game that he played and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I, I did see that on on Twitter as you put that on there. But I, I think it's I learned from you <laughs> first game. Now I, I make sure to see whether Jalen Maiden uh on when there's a third and long, I, I look to see if Jalen Maiden is uh running onto the field because yeah, yeah, it was um, it was I go, oh, there's Maiden going on the field. And my first thought was like, oh man, Patrick Morris is hurt. And then uh and then I go, no, he's out. What what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, one, I, I, one of these days they're gonna show that front. And the offensive line is going to be like, haha, we know you're not rushing. You're going to be a spy. And then he's going to rush. I and, think you're right. I think you're right. You know, was that, is that going to be the next time or is that going to be the time after that? I don't know, but it's coming. I, yeah. I but I mean, and that, and that's been, and that's been, if, if there's been a change that's taken place, I think since Arizona is some of that. I mean, Garrett Fountain, they did a, they did a, um, like a, I don't know if it was the zone blitz is the right phrase, but, um, you know, they brought extra pressure up the middle and if, and he with his hand on the ground, you know, acted like he was going to rush and then covered the running back 20 yards down the field yeah. showing his line. And I'm like, what? And even the, you know, the announcers were saying like, that's a defensive lineman doing that. You know, um, it was an incredibly impressive play to be able to, to make that, especially because you know, that's what Cam Rising does, right? He got away from the pressure, rolled to his right, and was able to extend the play and like do something with it. Yeah. Um, and and so it it Garrett Found had a had a really nice game that um as did you know Michael Shawcroft again. Um I think his 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 year has just been I think that his you know he's I think been really, really good this year. It sometimes gets overshadowed because obviously they're one and two and 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 you know their their win is against winless Idaho State. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for us. Hopefully you guys are um, primed and ready, good to go for the Toledo game. It's a 1230 game. Paul mentioned that I will be missed. Um, I will be in Tucson, Arizona for a family event on Saturday. So I will not be at the stadium, but I will be watching and I may be live tweeting. There you go. uh, The confines of maybe a pool with some uh, cocktails in my hand. Who knows? But um Hopefully the Aztecs can even up their record at two and two before they start conference play. Uh, they need to win uh, as bad as you know any team needs to win. So, uh, thanks guys for listening, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.